Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to Bantering the Blue Shirts, a bi-weekly podcast about the New York Rangers, where I, Joe Fortunato, discuss Ranger things with Mike Murphy, who was so very excited that the New York Rangers won the draft lottery, he literally blew his mouth out and needed oral surgery. So instead of Mike, we've brought you the next best thing, Adam Herman. Adam, welcome. Hello. Hello. Uh, as you can see, Adam is thrilled to be here. Uh, my computer apparently has not been touched since the last time that I, uh, the, the last time that I did the podcast with Mike a week ago because I still have Tankathon open with a simulation where the Rangers got the first overall pick that I, you know, left up for good luck and it worked. Uh, I know that we discussed it. Mike, Shana, and Tom did an emergency podcast that kind of just the after effect of winning the draft lottery. The Rangers moved up to second overall. Um, Adam and I are here to give you a little bit more in-depth view of that, and this is really the first time that we've gotten our hands around this. So um, Adam wrote a fantastic story about how uh, this certainly doesn't stop the Rangers' need to sort of continue doing things the right way in terms of the rebuild, but they've certainly landed. Like, they, they did not skip a step that they would have inevitably needed to take. And, and I want you to go into a little bit more detail about just kind of what this means for the Rangers. And I'll, I'll say, I can't speak for Adam, um, I'm going to say Kako's name a lot, but obviously the Devils could take him and it, it could be Hughes, but... Uh, until we get into the specifics about their position, I think a lot of, you know, it's it's the same thing. It, it, they're the same type of player, not a generational player, but a franchise-changing player. Um, just it it change. They're interchangeable in the sense of the way that we're going to talk about it. But just the disclaimer that it very well could be um, Jack Hughes, even though that's that's really not likely. But go ahead, Adam, take it away. Yeah, um, I mean, well, first of all. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting that I, I heard from one NHL source that the Devils were weaning Hughes, which definitely is not surprising by any means. That's kind of the consensus. But um, another source uh, who um, obviously I'm not going to go into detail, but it's obviously would know this, uh, would know about this. And uh, I was told that the Devils have not made up their minds by any means. Um, so there's U18 championship coming up in i think a few days and then world championships where kako will be playing hughes will be at u18 so uh, it, it's so close right now in terms of who's the better prospect it's seriously like razor thin um that might be a deciding factor just you know uh it's a small sample sure but like when it's this tight uh yeah four or five games for each that could be um, something that flips Kako to first overall. Um, and, and it goes without saying, and, and we'll definitely discuss this as it goes on, but <clears throat> the Rangers, <clears throat> excuse me, the Rangers are very clear winners here, yeah. even at two, and maybe even more so at two in that, yeah, they don't get to make the selection between the two of them, but if it really is that razor thin, the Devils inherit all the risk on this move. If they take Kako over Hughes, it's going to be looked at as an, you know, sort of against the grain, if you will. And no matter what Hughes does or no matter what Kako does in New York, this is a two-man draft. Yep. Right? So there's no, absolutely no risk for the Rangers. Even if it doesn't work out, they don't have a choice. They have to take the other guy. So I definitely think, like, the Rangers can even completely move beyond scouting 
if they have anything left, like Adam's talking about looking at the the worlds right now as a, another means of just trying to get a handle on these two kids, the Rangers don't give a shit. No. doesn't matter to them. Definitely not. I'm sure they'll keep an eye on it, but they have absolutely no stake in this game because, again, the Devils are going to make the choice for them. If another team trades with New Jersey, not that that's going to happen, again, it, the decision is made for them. So just keep that in mind. As we go back and forth on this, there is no – the Rangers have no risk here. Right. Yeah. I uh, I can't remember who said it on Twitter, and I wish I could remember to give uh, – him or her credit, but uh, someone said that the Rangers were co-owners of the first overall pick, and I think that's just a very good way. Ooh, of I like that it. a lot. In that, look, in ten years, like one player may be above the other, and that might be we might be able to say, you know, all right, this guy is a better hockey player; he's had the better career. But you know, in terms of just the foresight of right now on June twenty-first when the draft is, I don't think there's going to be any difference, and it's just kind of going to be a gut instinct or maybe positional preference um you know maybe even marketing honestly you know so it i I, it's it's honestly so close right now and i i don't think the rangers can lose unless someone has a freak injury or something which you know knock on wood yeah let's not let's not even put that that thought into the hockey god's ears so i kind of interrupted you but let's let's discuss what this does for the team like where they were kind of where they're going the rangers are obviously rebuilding there's been a lot of talk about kind of speeding up the rebuild and we're assuming that that's uh, artemi panarin and there's been rumors out there that i'm not putting too much stock in that the rangers are looking at the rfa market and who knows there may be trades for truba or adam fox which is obviously much more realistic but what are your what's your take like what does this do for the Rangers just in the sense that you need a superstar to win the Stanley Cup in today's day and age? The New York Rangers very well may have landed one. Yeah. And not that, you know, either Kako or Hughes are going to all of a sudden become 100-point players in their 19-year-old season in the NHL. But um, realistically, three or four years from now, we could be looking at a much different New York Rangers team because of this. So talk about that. Yeah, I, I think it needs to be said. Um, for the sake of expectations, uh, like I don't think this changes much in terms of just like the uh, outlook for next season, right? Like I think with you know you look at a guy like Andrei Svechnikov, um, you know I think he had like twenty goals, forty points this season. Like that's sure that's a good player to have, but you know he's not the driving force for the Hurricanes right now um, or anything like that. Uh, we're more, we're looking more at you know year three, year four. And, and, and so on. We're looking at, you know, a decade, maybe 15 years into the future. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, you just you look at the teams that have won Stanley Cups recently or have been perennial contenders. Uh, you, you need elite talent, and the easiest way to get that is with, a you know, a top-two draft pick. I, there are very few Stanley Cup winners in recent memory that did not have at least one top-two draft pick. Um, and And... Can you get elite talent other ways? Sure. You know, look at Patrice Bergeron, who was a second-round pick. Uh, Pasternak was late first. Marshawn was, uh, I think, second. So, like, yeah, can it be done? Sure. But, you know, you can also become rich on the lottery. But there are obviously more secure ways to, and, and more guaranteed ways to, to do so. So what this does for the Rangers is say, you know, sure, we can – have other guys craft soft shisterk and these guys can be stars but what Hughes or kako brings to the rangers uh is the ability to say here's a known uh you know known commodity like this guy will be a star to what level we'll see but like yes this is a player who can be the the face of the franchise can be uh the best offensive player on the team for for a stanley cup winner so 
what it does is it, it gives them that security and, and they can build from there. It's the known quantity, honestly, just knowing that you're going to, I mean, we would have spent who knows how long discussing if the Rangers fell anywhere from three to eight, where we would have been talking about, hey, listen, these are guys that are first line players and there's potential there, but it doesn't really, it's not that type of a next step aspect of things. And look, you're not going to change the direction of the team next year all that much besides the fact that if Kako happens to be a 20, you know, 20, 20, 40 player, that you're getting another 20 goal scorer where you otherwise would not have had one. But it's the point that once you start moving beyond next year and you start being able to like put actual, I mean, I was thinking about this when we were discussing Kako in the first place. It's like, when was the last time that the Rangers had a legitimate superstar? And you really have to go back to Yager. I mean, you can certainly make reference to guys like Gabarik and, and Rick Nash, but I, I think it's easier to say that Yarmer Yager was the last time the Rangers had a legitimate superstar. And when you think back to like, when was the last time the Rangers drafted a legitimate superstar? I think the answer could be damn close to like it's Brian Leach, right? And then what are we talking about? Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, beyond that, we're we're in a we're in a completely different era of hockey. So to be at this point where you're getting somebody organically, who if Kako enters the opening night lineup, he's 18 years old. Mm -hmm. You're 10 years away from him being 28. I mean. That's not something that we've had the luxury of thinking. We've been drooling about the potential of adding a guy like Panarin at 28 right now. We're negotiating the benefit of whether or not the Rangers should keep a guy like Chris Kreider, again, at 28. We're going to do analysis on Eric Carlson at 29. So to bring in a guy like Kravstoff, who, according to Rick Carpinello, apparently is signed, but there's no official deal yet, which feels weird, but it's not support like regardless of what you think of his sources and that he's really the only one reporting it, it's expected to be a done deal regardless. You're getting Kravstoff coming over next year. Um, You could have Panarin. Now you're going to get one of Hughes or Kako. That's that's enormous. Like that, even without Panarin, you're adding two players that maybe not next year are going to be impact players, but very well could be two or three years down the line. That doesn't even include Adam Fox who it's the worst kept secret in hockey that he wants to be a New York Ranger. The question is just this summer or next summer. And maybe the Rangers do make a move for a guy like Truba. Maybe they, I I don't know. But the team feels different. And this is kind of another thing that I want to get to with you, Adam. Assuming, again, it's Kako, the Rangers will now have a complete surplus at the wing because they're bringing in Kravstoff and Kako. According to Larry Brooks, Jimmy Vesey's on his way out. Um, I'm sure they'll shop Nemestikov. I'm sure they'll kind of dangle Ryan Strom. Who knows if any offers will come over the past, you know, before we get to the draft. But what are your thoughts on what Kako does to say a guy like Chris Kreider, who, you know, we were all thinking the Rangers were going to definitely be signing. Now there's sort of a question as to whether or not because of his, like, the last few months or the last few weeks of the season where he was hurt, And I think it's ridiculous to make those types of assessments, but I think you and I are in the same camp that maybe a long-term contract isn't the best thing in the world. How does this give Gordon more flexibility than he would have otherwise had? Yeah, I think that's kind of the most interesting aspect of Hughes versus Kako is not who's the better player per se, but each is, well, they play different positions and they're just very different kinds of players. And um, it's more how you build around that and what consequences that will have for the rest of the the lineup and and other players. Um, If, if it's Kako, you know, that's, 
him and that's Kravtsov who are coming over the same season, which means their entry level contracts start at the same time, which means that in three years you have to sign both of them. Right. And, and you're hoping that you're signing them to big contracts because that means they've proven themselves to, you know, be the players that you're expecting them to be. Um, now for Kreider, yeah, I, I think you would agree that if, if the Rangers are signing him, it's to a six year deal, right? Probably. Maybe he's, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine he would take a deal for less than that. That'd be maybe five if they're super lucky, but either way, we're talking a long-term deal and we're talking, you know, at least 6 million, somewhere between six and seven. Um, you know, that, that's a lot of money for a player who's going to be in his, you're, you're signing him through his mid thirties. Um, and, and is that what you want to be doing with your cap space when you have to sign, um, those two wingers, not to mention if you're bringing Panarin over, um, who knows, you know, what other players are drafted th- this year and next year with all the picks they have. Uh, I, I just think they need that flexibility, um, to to sign Kako and, and Kravtsov and, and then Hedl in, in two years, uh, you know. So well, if never those, if those guys like pan, pan out, you're going to need the money. And if they don't pan out, then signing Kreider doesn't do anything for you anyway because you're still rebuilding at that point, right? So Yeah, the Rangers are in a really weird spot right now where at the end of this upcoming season, you're going to have to make a decision on Kreider, Nemestikov, Strom, VC, and Fast. Um, yep. Assuming VC's gone, assuming Strom is gone, even, you know, Nemestikov, um, and even Chris Kreider, like, yeah, that is a lot of turnover. But we just named, if you get Panarin over, it's Panarin, it's Kravstov, and it's Kako. That's three players in. You know what I mean? And Filipito is playing the wing right now. Is that going to remain? I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic if the Rangers do land Hughes, is that you you have way too many centers then for just a a few positions. Um, That has nothing to say about little depth guys that come up here and there. Um, But the Rangers could kind of restock again. And I know it's become almost comical to this point that the Rangers, you're looking at it and you're like, well, the Rangers are going to contend in three years. So is it worth having a guy like Chris Kreider around at 30 years old? And and look, there's certainly times when that answer is yes. But I don't think the Rangers are kind of in that position right now. And I'm a huge Chris Kreider fan. I think he's a very good hockey player. I think he'd be very good for the Rangers for at least part of that contract. But like Adam was saying, when you kind of don't look down the line, you do run into the trouble of, well, now we're stuck with this. Yeah. Because you also have to make the decision on Pionk, D'Angelo. I, I think the Rangers are going to let Clayson walk, um, let alone what you're going to do with Georgiev and you know Shestyorkin. And we're talking two or three years down the line at this point. Yeah. But those are things that you kind of need to take into consideration. And there's a famous quote uh, that Bob McKenzie uses. I don't remember who said it. Um, but when you have time, use it. Yep. Like, don't worry about tomorrow. Get what you need today and then figure it out down the line. But that's for a team that's contending. Toronto's allowed to think that way. Washington is allowed to think that way. Yep. The Rangers really can't think that way. And they need to kind of make some of those decisions. And that's where I think where Kako comes in is if, if the Rangers are sure that they're going to get Panarin or they're at least willing to roll the dice on it, if the Rangers know that being bad next year isn't the worst thing in the world again because it is a loaded draft, legitimately game-changing players through what would you say? The top uh, 10? Is I that mean, too far? <laughs> it depends on like the semantics of what we mean by that. But you know, there are players who are 
there are five or six, maybe seven players in that draft that I would take easily uh, third, top three this year. So that makes a huge, you know, that would be another huge boon to this farm system. But for the New York Rangers right now, do you maybe think about tripping Crowder out at the draft? Because the value is going to be there. There are teams that have talked themselves into the fact that they're going to be the playoffs with this one missing piece. He is coming off a semi-career year. There are opportunities there. Mm-hmm. And you know you're getting Kako and you know you're getting Kravstov. And even if you don't get Panarin, the worst thing that happens is you just suck for another year. And who cares? Because there's a light at the end of the tunnel on that too. Yeah. Yep, and I think the thing for the Rangers also, especially the Rangers, like uh, I think we look at the Panthers right now. They want Bobrovsky and Panarin. Like this is this is their shot, right? Like this is it's it's now or never for them. Um, with the Rangers, you know, we we've, we've seen this almost every year. Basically, is that like if they even if they trade Kreider and completely strike out on free agency or trades whatever it is this year, like. There will always be players who want to be on the Rangers, you know, next year, two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, you know. <laughs> so they don't it doesn't need to be now. Would it be nice if it was? Sure. But um, like you said, uh, if you have time, use it. And um, I, I just think they have to be very careful about setting things up so that they're in the spot they need to be when that when uh, that window of content contention is there. Um, so I think Gordon has to be very careful. Adam, quick scouting report on both of them. I know you're going to do it. You don't have to go into too much detail, but yeah. um, MSG Networks threw out like, a, oh, the Devils may get McDavid and the Rangers may get Ovechkin. And like, that's not what this is. So also, it would probably be beneficial just to do a quick overview of like what we mean when we say generational talent and what we mean when we say these guys are not that, but they're franchise changing players. Right. So the easiest comparison and just I'm not a guy who likes comparisons because I think they're often very lazy and and they can be kind of ignorant, too, in terms of just like, you know, every fast we gets compared to Carl Hagelin and, you know, every big Canadian forward is Milan Lucic. And, and I digress. But for Hughes, I think he's kind of comparable to Matt Barzil. Um, he's, you know, a bit undersized about five eleven, but he is just such an unbelievable skater and has incredible puck poise and, um, he can score his own fair share of goals, but just his playmaking ability is, is, is elite. He, he, um, I've been watching a bunch of, um, his games and it's just incredible that the, um, the ways he can set up players, uh, in the offensive zone, the way he carries the puck through the neutral zone, especially on the power play. He's a power play quarterback. Uh, he's a lot like his brother Quinn, just like a dynamic skater. That team, he can break down a four check by himself. Um, so, like for sure, like you know, high end number one center, he'll be for sure. I think one of the top ten, maybe top five centers in the NHL in his prime. Um, as for Kako, uh, he is, you know, again similar ceiling, but different kind of player. He's a he's a winger. He's he's spent some time at center, but I think his true position is the wing. Um, he he's about six two, I think one ninety right now, and um, he, so he's he's definitely like NHL size right now. Like he could play in the NHL playoffs right now. Um, he's he's definitely a goal scorer, um, and he scores in in a few ways. He has a great shot that he, so he can beat goalies clean from above the circles. Uh, but he's also just has that Rick Nash quality of like he can protect the puck in corners and then just kind of like curl to the middle and drive the net. Uh, and, and you know score from the slot from you know the goal line 
So, you know, this is a guy who has that 40 goal, maybe even 50 goal potential. Um, but he's also a decent passer too. Uh, his skating is just kind of pretty good as opposed to great. Um, that's at the end of the world. No. And again, he's 18. There's time to improve that. Um, so, so yeah, I think, uh, when we're talking about franchise changing players, um, you know, is this Lemieux, is this Crosby? No, that's the generational talent we're talking about. You know, the kind of the guy who can be the best player, maybe the second best player in the NHL for a decade. That's not what we're talking about with Hughes and Kako. But, you know, are we talking about Barzil? Are we talking about, you know, like a, a Rick Nash, Joe Pavelski, Nathan McKinnon type? You know, I'm not comparing the styles there, but just in terms of just those are guys that can be the best player on, on, a, on a contending team, right? Um, I think that's what the Rangers will be getting. And that's a great thing to have. Again, let's not, like, we're not trying to undersell that, but if you think you're getting McDavid or you think you're getting Ovechkin, that's, you're, you're going to be disappointed. Like, you're setting yourself up for that, that level of failure. Um, either way, it makes the Rangers better. I think Hughes would cause a little bit more of a jumble just because of the position that he's at. The Rangers really don't have um, any scoring wingers. Hopefully, Krovstov changes that. Hopefully, Kako changes yeah. that. But if Hughes came in, it would definitely disrupt things from a center standpoint because right now you have Hedl, Anderson, and Howden who are all kind of fighting for that 2-3-4-C role. And Heedle actually spent a majority of the season on the wing. So you're already looking at just a little bit of disruption there now before anybody else is involved to get Hughes in where he would be cemented as the 2C, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think 1C, honestly. Really? You think he'd be above Zabanajad? Maybe not year one, year two, like for sure. Uh, yeah. And that, and I mean, th- th- that's the other thing where, you know, we're talking about how the Rangers can't lose. Could you imagine having Zabanajad Hughes as your 1-2 punch down the lineup? Yeah. I mean, that's it's way different than even dealing with Zibanejad Hayes, which I think we looked at as an upgrade over, especially with this Zibanejad, over what the Rangers have yeah. kind of thrown out there at the center position in the past. So the, the Rangers can't lose. There is no losing here. And that's the best part about yeah. this is no matter what happens, no matter what the Devils do, the Rangers are guaranteed to get a player who in three or four years could be that superstar status. Right. And you're not going to get that elsewhere. Now, I do have another question for you. You and I have kind of gone back and forth about this a few times. Rangers have a lot of first-round pick, potentially. They have Winnipeg's pick, for sure. Um, Tampa looks like they're going to get swept, so they're probably not getting that pick. Dallas is in a tight series with um, Nashville, who just lost Boyle and Simmons, it looks like, for the rest of the series. So that one might get interesting. Do you see the Rangers? They're, They're obviously not touching two. But do you see them trying to make a move into the top ten? Uh, I mean, is it the, possible? I guess yeah, is it the other question. Yeah, I mean, the the lazy answer here is obviously like it depends on what pick, who's available, and what the cost will be. But um, as much as there's a drop off in the draft, as we've talked about after pick number two, I think there's still in that two to ten range some players who can be big time players, first line players, maybe even all stars. Um, so, which which the Rangers need, right? Like even still with Kako or Hughes, like it, it's not. You look at all the other teams. If it's you know Ovechkin, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Carlson, or you know Matthews, Marner, Nylander, you need multiple guys. So if they can get there, uh, sure. If if the cost is right and it's the right player, um, I, I they have the they have the weapons, right? They have some picks. They can move some other players. Like you know 
I could see Kreider to Edmonton for eighth overall. Like, couldn't you see that? Like, he's such an Edmonton type of player. They they want to get bad. Uh, they want to get good very quickly and and get McDavid some help. That's just you know conjecture on my part. But then you know they could package picks with Neil Pionk or D'Angelo. There's a lot of there are a lot of ways they could do this. So I I think it's definitely possible, and I think Gorton will look into it. All right, let's move on from Kako for a minute and let's discuss some of the the hubbub that's gone around about the uh, president search. The New York Rangers, obviously, Glenn Sather is stepping down. We discussed that last week. Um, John Davidson is expected to be a candidate, uh, and it appears Steve Yeiserman is actually interested in the position too, which uh, he would be able to speak to the Rangers almost right away if uh, the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets win tomorrow or today if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Um this is a really big decision for the future of the team because we've seen really no deviation under Glenn Sather. I mean, he's evolved a little bit, but the team as a whole has kind of done the same thing over and over again. And David Quinn was sort of uh, an outside-the-box hire in the sense that it's not something that the Rangers normally do. Um, Jeff Gordon, sort of, not really. I mean, he was brought in, but they kind of groomed him for that role. How important is this hire, and what are some of the things that you're looking for the Rangers to kind of go forward with at this point? Yeah, I I think it's, like, crucial, and it's going to single-handedly, well, not single-handedly, but I think... The wrong hire will tank their cup hopes five years from now. The right hire could be what makes the difference there. Um, quite frankly, the organization's been stale for a while now because they've just had a lot of the same voices um, and the same ideas. Um, so bringing an outside voice in who, uh, you know, is going to make changes, you know, will Gordon keep his job at least in the short term? Yeah, I think he will. I think that's kind of how it will play out. But even still no one wants to take a job like why take the president's job if you don't get to you know make your own mark and and make the team yours right there's just there's no reason to um especially if you're davidson who has a you know a perfectly good job in columbus or eiserman who can you know pick his job so at some point you know president even if it's you know after the next season after two seasons he he or she is going to uh you know do something to make the team uh very different so we know that they need to improve their analytics department. Quite frankly, they need to have an analytics department, which they don't really right now. Um, we know Hartford's a bit of a mess. That has to change. Um, and just, so, you know, the overall culture, if you're, this is, you know, this is a new era of Rangers hockey. There are very few players from the you know previous era still here. So, yeah, we'll see who it is and how that changes things. But I, I, I think it's, you know, it's going to be different. Hearing that Yeiserman was interested in the position was actually sort of eye-opening because they're really – look, the Rangers' job is going to be um, coveted. There's going to be people who want it. John Davidson is the very easy selection because he's a former Ranger. Um, he's a guy who was with the organization alongside Sam Rosen, and he's done the job at both Columbus and St. Louis, and it's worth saying that, that org- both of those organizations were better for him sure. than they were without him. But – Yeiserman is a he's a really interesting case. Obviously, Tampa Bay, and this is a terrible time to talk about it because they're getting their asses handed to them in the series. But they're a model organization for kind of how the org- how the NHL is moving forward. They have top pieces across the board. They've drafted very well. They've made a few foolish decisions. You know, the Girardi contract, the Callahan contract. There's certainly mistakes there, um, even in a lesser sense, the Tyler Johnson contract. But um, do you see a guy like Yeiserman being? Uh, let me put it to you this way. 
I think you and I could both agree that John Davidson, like, there's worse hires for the New York Rangers to make than a guy like John Davidson. But do you see Steve Yeisman being on that much higher of a level? I mean, it's just for me, it's just the track records. I think Davidson's done some good things. And let's say this about Davidson, too. Like, we dread when, you know, teams, the Rangers in particular, do that thing where it's just they hire former players that were fan favorites and, and such because it's just, it's a horrible way of, you know, having an open-minded organization with different ideas and also of, you know, just evaluating who would be good for the job. But with Davidson, you know, he would be a, a justifiable hire in his own right, even if he never played for the Rangers, right? Like he, he, uh, you know, he, he did the job for St. Louis and, and did a good job there with drafting. He did it same thing in Columbus. So his resume, uh, you know, by itself in terms of the position, you know, it, it holds up. So I don't think he falls under, under that kind of umbrella. Um, but with Iserman, it's just what he's built in Tampa Bay. You know, look, these three playoff games aside, we're, we're talking about, you know, one of the best teams, you know, pound for pound. But I would say maybe the best team post uh, 05 lockout. Um, you know, there are very few flaws on that team. And the flaws they do have are manageable. There, you know, there aren't many contracts they can't get out of, for instance. Their, their AHL team right now is, is phenomenal. Even despite all the trading and all the players they've graduated to the NHL, their AHL team is, is unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, like you just look at what Iserman has done in Tampa Bay and you just have to think he would be, you know, I don't want to say the best uh, hire because just there's so many people out there and we, you know, NHL teams tend to just go back into that well of who's already done a job. But, you know, with Iserman, the, you know, what, what Tampa Bay has looked like the last few years, it's, it speaks for itself. And the Rangers right now have, they would love that Hartford to New York connection because they just don't have it right now. And actually, it's a good thing that we're discussing this. Keith McCambridge fired by, uh, I guess Chris Drury would make that decision as the general manager of the Wolfpack. They declined the option on assistant coach uh, Joe Mermina. Um, I think I may have butchered that name. But... um, Talk about that a little bit, because this is something that Mike and I have discussed at length. This is a really important time for the New York Rangers, especially as they start getting these prospects. Like, Shostyorkin is going to come over, and he's ultimately going to see some AHL time, we would assume. Um, who knows if Kravstov is going to see some AHL time. At some point, guys like Lundqvist and Miller may find their way to the AHL. Who knows who the Rangers are drafting this year? Um, right now, it almost feels like, and I got the sense last year, that the team legitimately did not want to put prospects in the AHL yeah. because they were that concerned about the lack of development, how terrible it was across the board. And the NHL team kind of goes the way the AHL team does, especially when you're rebuilding and you need that pipeline. I mean, Toronto instituted a, listen, you're going to play, the Marlies are going to play the exact same way the Maple Leafs are. They're going to have the exact same philosophies. They're going to have the exact same belief. Like it's a developmental league. That's We want that aspect there, but we need these guys to know what they're getting into when they're coming up. And it's very clear that those things were not happening in Hartford. So this is a big move that the Rangers have had to make, but they're going to have to shell out actual dollars for actual coaches at the AHL level because you're going to need to start stocking that pipeline. And making comments like the sky is the limit for Ryan Gropp, like that's not the type of stuff that we, we need to see actual tangible evidence of the New York Rangers having a farm system where you can put a guy like Shostyorkin 
and not have to worry about what's going to happen. So yeah. you're the prospect guru of the uh, website. Why don't you talk a touch about that aspect? Yeah, well, I, I think that's part of it. Sure, is like you want, you know, they're big time prospects. We'll see which ones, but you just know, you know, if it's not Miller, it'll be one quiz, and if it's not Kravtsov, you know, wh- whoever, you know, like especially with all the draft picks they have this year, next year, um, you know, Morgan Barron, you know, whatever it is, whoever it is. Um, but I also think it's about you know going back to Tampa Bay, which is you know where this started. It's not just about you know Hedman and Kucherov and, and Stamkos and Point, but also. You know, look at Alex Kalorn, look at Tyler Johnson, look at Anthony Sorelli. Um, like those, those are guys that were kind of 50-50 prospects who, who made their NHL careers in the AHL. And wh- who's the last guy you can think of for the Rangers that was, you know, not that surefire prospect, not a Brady Shea, not a JT Miller, just kind of that 50-50 guy who was in Hartford and, and he turned into a real good NHL player out of that. Cause, I mean, depending on what you mean by real good, right, like, I'm not is kind of like, like Neil Pionk because, like, I'm talking about like a genuine, like genuinely positive contributor at the NHL level for a lengthy period of time. Yeah, unless Nieves, and he really doesn't count because it hasn't been a lengthy period of time. God, I don't know. Even even still, like he's what a fourth liner, right? That's like, what I'm saying. Like, there's no. I, I don't. I have no idea. Yeah, it really me, feels like if the Rangers yeah. can help it, they don't put players in Hartford. Yeah, for me, and I, I look back, I think it's Jesper Faust, like in fourteen, fifteen. Like that's that's ridiculous. That's insane. You know, like we look at the development of Ryan Gropp, William Anderson. Um, you know, we we can go on. Just it hasn't worked out, and and now it's about uh, you know, is Tim Gettinger going to be an NHL player? Is Libor Hayek going to be an NHL player? Is Ryan Lindgren going to be an NHL player? Um, that though, that's going to be decided in Hartford, and it's going to be decided probably next year you know maybe two years from now well um you know so they they have to get it together they need that depth you know like we as as edmonton has shown time and time again or even buffalo now right like you can get those four star you know stars and you need that sure but like if your depth sucks so what like you're not going anywhere so the rangers have to get that part of it um figured out and 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 very quickly because all these draft picks and such mean nothing if they can't develop it, them in the pro level. This does come at the right time, and it is a move that we were expecting. Um, and it's a good thing to see because it, it just shows that we're not crazy, right? Like the Rangers view this as a problem as well. And McCambridge lasted, what, two years at this point? Yeah. So it's not like they left him in there like Jernander was there for, I don't even know how long, but like long enough that... I was literally covered the team with him as the coach, I'm going to say 10 years ago. So he must have been there for a really long time. Yep. And it just like they've missed the playoffs, what, seven of the past 10 years. This was one of the worst years in history um, of the Wolfpack. It's just bad. It really is bad across the board. And if you're going to have that feeder system, and that's the purpose of an AHL team is to have that feeder system, there needs to be something there. There needs to be tangible, hey, this is something that you can rely on. And when you've seen teams that have gone on deep playoff runs, traditionally the AHL team goes as the NHL team does. And there's a reason why the Rangers, I mean, who did they have in the AHL this year until the end that they really called up? Hayek looked like a completely different player in the NHL than he did in the AHL. 
They, Lindgren rotted down there. Sean Day, Ty Ronning, like these guys that you were expecting to maybe see something nice out of their first professional year. They had stints in the ECHL. Um, it, it's just a bad scene. And I'm not saying that everything, like every prospect struggle is the problem with Hartford, but you legitimately don't know when you look at Hartford, is it the player or is it the team? Like it's a red flag on everything because mm-hmm. you have no idea. And the team has operated this way for a decade, if not more. And that's a problem. It's a major problem. Um, that's a really – that's. An, I, let me put it into even more context. When I covered the Hartford – they were the Hartford Whale. They weren't even the Wolfpack. Uh, fucking Evgeny Grachev was still like the guy. He was one of the top prospects in the Rangers system. Just to show you how far back this problem has gone. Um, yeah. I, I think the, like, the really frustrating thing about that is like – like look like if this was like the Arizona Coyotes or the Senators like we would understand a little bit at least like they have bigger you know fish to fry in terms of their budget but like if you're the Rangers you know like this team buried Wade Redden there just because they could right like you should be afford you know you should be able to afford you know a good you know a, a big at least two assistant coaches like they only had one assistant coach last season that's that's absurd you should be able to pay big bucks to find your own Sheldon Keefe you know like a, a really great AHL coach you should be able to fund a good assistant staff good video coaches and analytics department um you, you know like that's that's what's so kind of silly about it is that there's no reason it should be like this um because there are teams with far less money who are doing it far better than the Rangers. Um, so the only way we think we can chalk that up to is, you know, ignorance and incompetence. So, uh, but that's, you know, that was in the past. Jury has been GM, you know, I think only two years. So I think he inherited quite a mess and, it, you know, it would have been unrealistic to expect him to fix everything right away. But, you know, now it's, I think, year three, going into year three and they cleared the deck. So it's, it's, it's time to fix it both on a coaching level, player personnel level, everything. It's about damn time. Yep. And it does seem like even with David Quinn coming back and look, Lindy Ruff being around, who knows? You know what? We didn't even fucking talk about this. I guess we should spend a minute on it. Um, fucking Vigneault hired by yeah. Philadelphia, which is, look, there are places where I thought Vigneault would actually have some success. And they traditionally need to be very veteran-heavy teams who are kind of in a position to go for it, um, where the veterans can police the room, and there's just not a lot of need for a, a tactical coach. But Philly's kind of a team like that relies on kids. They need kids to move forward. They're semi-rebuilding. I have no earthly – like it's just proof that – and maybe this is a bad example because Philly did hire Hackstall, which was I think seen as sort of a, an outside-the-box move. Yeah. But it's like they did something in the right direction, right, even though it didn't work out. Sure. They did something that you would look at as, hey, this is a this is an outside the box move. Like we went for it, it didn't go the way we wanted, and they thought, you know what, let's just go back to the tired and true. And I'm already seeing people who are like, well, we took two teams to the Stanley Cup final and all this stuff. Like, sure, but Philadelphia doesn't have a Roberto Luongo in his prime, let alone a Henrik Lundqvist. Right. So maybe Vigneault takes rough with him, I guess. But I have no idea how if you're Philadelphia, like all that shit happened. Like across the the just it's not that far, and all the things that Vigneault did that got him fired in Vancouver got him fired in New York 
Brandon Cohen, he said it. I think it's very telling that not a single player, not one, nope. came to Vigneault's defense when he got fired. And in fact, at any given opportunity, any given opportunity, they put him through the fucking ringer after he was gone. Yep. That should tell you all you need to know about the respect that that man commanded in the locker room. And the fact that this team, I mean, they were writing articles about how the Rangers were jumping up and down with, like, this new level of coaching that they were getting out of David Quinn in November. Yeah. And this is the guy, five years, $25 million. He got a pay raise. Yeah. And, and you know, two, two quick things about that. Number one, like, he looked totally out of place in the modern NHL in, like, 2016, right? Like, so... If we're talking about 2021, 2022, like uh, unless he just in his year off had, you know, an epiphany and just really thought about things and where he needs to go in the future with hockey, like I, I just don't see how he's going to keep up um, because just, you know, his stance on analytics, his stance on, you know, what a fourth line should look like and, and, and how to utilize young players and when prime is the prime is for young players. Like he just didn't get it in the modern NHL. You know, maybe he got it in 2012 but he didn't get it in 2018. Um, and also, you know, it would be one thing if Philly sat down with 15 different candidates from all sorts of backgrounds and they just said, look, like Vigneault is the one who happens to align with our philosophies. But, you know, it was like they, they, they uh, the season ended and then like two or three days later, they, they had their guy. So it was not an exhaustive, exhaustive search. They just kind of said, all right, who's a name out there that's, you know, reputable. And they, they hired him, you know, a few days later. Um, so it's just that doesn't mean Vigneault can't be successful there but it's just not a good look in terms of the optics of you know did they really do their due diligence on, on being open minded about who could be the next coach did my, I feel like my house is going to literally fall apart with the fucking wind I don't know if you're getting yeah, this wind storm it's um, alright I feel like that covers the flagship uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not yet, please send us your address, because if you don't send us your address, we're not going to be able to send you stickers and other fun things. So uh, don't don't be a jerk. Send your address. Also, go to iTunes, subscribe, like us, give us five stars, leave a nice comment. That would be swell of all of you. Um, Anthony Viola, Alex Gardner, Chris Lucas, Eric Carlson, Panerwin2020, John Reppy, Guy from Montana, Daniel DeGen, Eric Cohn, 50, Andy from New Jersey, Beezer? No, Beezer. Um, Jordan Sassone, Joshua Zarkin, Chris O'Connor, Aiden Gaspar, Johnny Alo, Tall Guy Robert, Fancy Lawrence, Keith Franchillo, Andre Chicagoff, Chris Habibi, Danny Santiago, Gabriel Vargas, James Dangles, David L. Singer, Mike Offit, Bob Kawa, Stink Fleeman, Arch Williams, Igor Zatlovsky, Dan Carosi, Thomas Osa, Trevor Kepner, and Michael Silvers. Thank you all for donating. You guys are the best. Um, and like I said, if you're in the $10 tier, you get yourself a nice mug. If you're in the $5 tier, you get a mug and also stickers. So that will be lots of fun. Um, thank you all for listening. You can follow Adam at Adam Z Herman on Twitter. Uh, and you can expect, what are we thinking here on your, your, we're thinking May, the middle of May is going to be the, uh, yeah, I think we, we decide on May 13th as our target date for this start. For the, uh, the prospect of the, like one through the draft rankings, top we'll do top thirty-one. Um, I, I've already written, um, you know, one of the profiles. I'm not gonna say which one, but thirty to go. Uh, I would guess about mid-May is when uh, I and, and Tobias and Alex will will start really publishing. You heard it here first, bitches. 
See ya.